Okay, looks like uh, we started. So I'm going to start doing some freeform thinking uh, on books that I'm reading or experiences that I've had, either myself or with clients. And the reason that I'm using this medium and not social media, I guess this is technically social media, but not Instagram or Twitter or something like that, because I want it, I want uh, the space and freedom to explore thoughts as they come into my head. And so this is every bit as much an exercise for me and, and helpful to me as it is to the 13 of you who will listen to this. Um, but I also hope that uh, those of you who do listen to it, it, uh, well, I don't really have any intentions of, you know, beyond that. So, um, but yeah, social media confines the time that you can express yourself and it not only confines the time, but it makes the content transient and so you never go back and look at what someone has said about something. You'll go reference someone's Instagram page. Um, so it makes it really transient and it, it's designed to entertain us. So it's not designed for thinking. So anyway, that's why I'm using this medium. So today I'm going to, it's not really a book review. It's more, uh, my thoughts, uh, based upon a book that I recently read. It's this book. It's called Endure. It's by Alex Hutchinson. The subtext is Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance uh, from an Endurance Sport Perspective. I was interested in it because his storytelling is really good. And so I'm going to talk about some things that I uh, am thinking about as a result of reading the book. So and some past experiences are going to be inside of it too. Um, so my first thought is on the limitations of the scientific method. He cites basically the history of research on a battery of topics that affect the human body's ability to endure heat, oxygen, hydration, uh, muscle, or a couple others. Anyways, so he basically does a, uh, it's not a meta study, but it's a historical review of the studies of these things. And what, what really struck me is how inadequate, and I've already, I, I, this is really my perspective going into the book. So, you know, anything I say is going to be filtered through my perspective, but the, uh, not that it isn't useful at all, but the shortcomings of the scientific method inside of human performance, studying human performance, which is really uh, difficult to confine to the time in which you can execute a properly controlled study. So the practitioners or AKA the athletes themselves and the coaches who coach them are the ones who are, they have, they have a smaller 
sample size usually because you can really only work with someone closely, you know, several hundred people, however many in your lifetime, coaching directly. And so your sample size is limited to that, that several hundred over a career in coaching. However, because you see them over a more significant, you see that human over a more significant amount of time, you're, you're able to distill insights from those experiences, even though you have a smaller sample size. And it's not as controlled as a lab, lab experiment. So I'm going to talk about some of the, I mean, if you want to read the book and, and are not wanting anything to be spoiled, then I stop listening now. It's not that it's not like it's really, it's not a novel. So uh, there's not like twists and turns, but if you're interested in the book, um, there will be, I, I'm going to talk about the book, so I'm not going to reserve anything for the sake of not spoiling anything. Uh, so a couple of the methods that Alex Hutchinson, the author, explores at the end of the book for the sake of increasing endurance is or are brain training and brain zapping, which is just a crude term for electrocuting uh, the outside of your head, sending electrical current from one side of your scalp to the other, and that current um, pretty indiscriminately actually uh, running through the brain. And they can target areas, but it's not super precise. And the intention behind looking into these things, I am curious about that. And the thing about hacks is that any, anything that isn't long-term good training supported by good lifestyle with a motivated human is that if it works well enough to be significant, if it works well enough to provide a significant advantage, then we ban it to keep the purity of sport. So if we discover that electrocuting ourselves in the head produces a significant improvement in human performance, then either everyone will do it and we're back where we started or it will be disallowed. <laughs> so I, that's, I, I don't understand the intention of that because anyway, that, that just is mystifying to me why that's interesting to people. It's like, okay, so, so say you discover the perfect uh, type of current and the perfect voltage and the perfect location of electrodes and you can zap somebody into a 4% increase in their efficiency or in their uh, capacity. It's like, great, okay, well then everyone does it and now we're, <laughs> we're all 4% faster, uh, even though it's you know, created by this artificial um, you know, method, or we ban it. <laughs> so you, you, uh, you discovered a new drug, essentially. Um, so I don't understand the intention of that. that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyways, uh, the other method is brain training. And he's not like a huge advocate for either of these methods, by the way. I really, I, I gained a respect for Alex. I didn't know anything about him going into the book. And 
he's really honest and just really curious about endurance. And so it's, I definitely recommend it overall. Probably should have started with that. Um, but I am uh, critical by nature. So I'm, Alex Hutchinson's book is not exempt from that. So uh, another method he talks about is brain training. And basically you sit at a computer screen for 15 minutes all the way up to 90 minutes as you adapt to it, or I guess as you gain the skill of sitting at a computer and focusing, and you do a really mundane focus-based task, like press the left arrow key when you see a letter, or press the right arrow key when you see a shape, or it, it starts out very easy, but then you get fatigued and you have to maintain your focus and there's no, there's not sufficient time for you to lose your concentration and daydream and and so you have to be focusing on this really mundane task uh, on a computer screen, executing it for, you know, out to, out to 90 minutes. At least that's the amount of time that they've experimented with. And it's really just rote and fatiguing. You're very, very fatigued by the end of it. And then you do physical training, or at least that's the, one of the methods that's explored. And the results from that are really mixed, but, um, but so they're, they're, they're hooking, you know, uh, Red Bull is sponsoring studies where they're hooking elite athletes up to, up to, uh, they're having them cycle, uh, and they're having them cycle to exhaustion. Then they're having them cycle while doing brain training and seeing the effects of that. And then the author experimented with it as well, leading into a marathon. And basically, you pre-fatigue yourself before your training. So, so um, and I, I just look at that and I think, okay, so an elite athlete who we're, we're trying to make their lifestyles as supportive as possible. And their physical training is, is squeezing every ounce of the, out of them. And if it's not squeezing every ounce out of them, then we need to make the physical training squeeze every ounce out of them that we can then replenish with support. And so we're looking into another stressor that we can then layer on top of the already tremendously stressful training. <laughs> I mean, you just think about that. Just think about that. It's like, well, okay, maybe the physical training, we've maxed that out. So maybe we can then, there's this workaround and we can like train our mind. And because it's not, stressing our muscles and our lungs and our respiration, etc., then it'll give us this boost in endurance. And it's, it's, it's another, it's, it just feels so hacky to me. I don't know. It's, it's just an intuition that it's like, it, it just feels like a hack. So, um, and like I said before, hacks that work, we ban them. So it, it just, um, you, you, you try to, you know, they've got some positive results with it in, in laboratory experiments. And I just look at that and I think, okay, but if you're an elite athlete or you work with elite athletes, then you know that, okay, if we have any reserve, if we have any reserve that we're then doing this other challenge that's non-specific to the task of cycling, of running, of thrusters, of whatever, <laughs> hitting a tennis ball, then we should be putting that stress into the, the most specific bucket that we can. <laughs> So, or, or, ta or challenges that are going to make them 
more resilient to the core task of hitting a tennis ball or running, cycling, whatever. So brain training, sitting at a computer screen, tapping keys, it's just, it's so nonspecific. It's, it's just, it's, um, yeah. So, um, so he admits that the results on that have been mixed and, and, and he speculates as well that, you know, maybe if the athlete is, you know, if their training is sufficiently stressful, then this would just, you know, <laughs> require more support. And if we can add more challenge, uh, if we can challenge the organism even more, then maybe we should just do more specific training. So anyway, that's, that's what I think of when I see that stuff, I think hack and the, the only hacks that work, we ban them. So, or everyone does them, but more, most often if they're really true hacks that are, are, uh, painless performance enhancers to a significant degree, then, then we just ban them. So anyways, um, he, he, the method that he finally gets to that he settles on, like this, this is the one that I can advocate for is positive self-talk. And I thought, I mean, that's very interesting because this leads so well into the next topic. I didn't even plan that, but that's great. So the, what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the time is the nature of psychological limitations. And basically we have physiological systems, we have psychological systems. In reality, they're operating integrated all the time. They're always integrated. So even, even observing them as separate systems is, is not, <laughs> it's not even quite the right paradigm, or at least it may not be because they operate integrated. So. <laughs> Anyway, so we separate them and we say, okay, this is psychological and this is physiological. You know, if it's muscles, if it's oxygen, if it's hydration, if it's, then it's physiological. But you're constantly perceiving the physiological. So they're, <laughs> they're so, it's so, it's so complex and so interwoven and messy that even separating them is, you know, not a sufficient paradigm, but anyway, we'll, we'll, it helps us because that's kind of, uh, I guess, where we, we are collectively in thinking about these sorts of things and thinking about human performance. We've been thinking about other things a lot longer than we've been thinking about this. So our paradigms aren't quite, they'll continue to get updated, but anyways, so we tend to think of physiological limitations as hard and fast rules. You cannot run at this heart rate for longer than this long, which we're discovering is like total, you know, as they say in England is bullocks. It's, it's like, they don't, it, that that's not the case at all. And we think of convert, you know, alternatively, we think of psychological limitations as these malleable, fickle things that are so easy to push past. Oh, once I know that it's all in my head, then I'll be able to stay at my max heart rate or stay at my max ventilation, my max breathing rate and sustain that for as long as I really want to because, and you'd be right about that, as long as you really want to because psychological limitations are just, they're not real. They're just these fickle, you know, 
malleable things. It's all in your head is the phrase. And when you hear that, you hear it's all in your head. It's like, oh, well, once I know it's all in my head, then I can, I can exceed it and really discover what the physiological limitations are. Well, uh, that's not how it works. Uh, fortunately for humans, because the book uses several anecdotes of humans who have really discovered the true physiological limitations of thirst, of oxygen deprivation, free divers and mountaineers, of uh, extreme muscular exertion. So those stories are incredibly uncommon, incredibly uncommon. So Tim Noakes, who's one of the leading scientists, he's kind of gotten all into keto and whatever, but anyway, uh, he, he has been a leading scientist on human performance, endurance, etc., And he's the author of The Lore of Running, if you've heard of that or read that. Anyways, he, he points to the end of, I think it's a marathon, and the Olympian finishes, and they're just jogging around the track. And he goes, do you notice that she's not dead? <laughs> and then he goes, it means she could have gone faster. And he has a point. Physiologically, the, the human organism was not stressed to the point of death. And we've learned, you know, through these anecdotes that there are humans who do stress themselves to the point of death. So that's why I say that it is a good thing for humans, <laughs> an evolutionary necessity that we learn to stop before <laughs> we push ourselves into oblivion, basically. So that's a really good thing. So how does it work? Well, what I was alluding to before is that if psychological limiters were fickle and malleable, then more of us would be discovering those physiological limits to, to our detriment all the time. We'd be discovering them more. So we're not. <laughs> That's not the case. We slow down or stop before we get heat exhaustion. We slow down or stop before uh, our brain runs out of oxygen. We slow down or stop before we deplete all of the fuel to our muscle tissue and can no longer contract. So we, we stop before then. So um, that suggests to me that the psychological limiters that are in your head, so to speak, are not quite as malleable and fickle as we, as we think them to be. So then the question becomes what, I'm, I'm departing from the book now, but I'm going to let myself do that. What are the, what is the path to getting as close as possible to your physiological limits? How do you, how do you do that? How do you push past psychological limits? The book talks about self-talk, which is really effective. But for me, in my personal experience, I 
attempted to, uh, basically my first career was in the army and I uh, was really physical, physically inclined. And so I was, from that perspective, I was set up to do a really challenging physical role inside of the army. And I pursued uh, army ranger school and I became an infantry officer and did that for five years. And basically uh, was not in touch enough with what I was interested in and what I was genuinely cur curious about to, to choose a different path. I was, I, I believed in the stoic ideology that I could will myself to do anything, you know, including uh, extreme, uh, extreme deprivation of food, water, and sleep for a four month, four and a half month stretch of time. And what, what I discovered inside of that, I was able to kind of, you know, get through it and survive it and endure it, but I wasn't flourishing inside of it. And you might say, well, who's really flourishing inside of that? And that's a good point. But there, there were, uh, there were people who I noticed who were, I was going through that with who were flourishing, you know, as much as you can, given those circumstances, they, they had higher energy than me. They were, um, they were emotionally less, uh, depressed than I was. And they were able to endure more of it. And they, they, they perceived less of the, the attendant, you know, discomfort to those sorts of deprivations. And because they really wanted to, to be there, they really wanted to um, become Army, U.S. Army Rangers, which is a very you know, noble thing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I continue to have experiences like that throughout my five years um, where I just was not, uh, could not, could not will myself to, to flourish the way that I, the way that I believed I could when I chose that path. So, um, the rest of the story is I ended up getting out of that, getting into coaching, getting into a setup where I can have rhythm and express myself physically and challenge myself and, and learn more, have better mental acuity. Turns out you don't have great mental acuity when you sleep an average of three hours a night for four and a half months. It's not, not great for mental acuity, turns out. Uh, so basically, um, the question is, are you doing the right thing? Are you doing the right thing? In my context, what I hear pretty frequently is, I want to go to a CrossFit semifinal, which has become, it used to be the games. People used to say, I want to go to the games. And somehow there's been a dose of reality in that that's a very small elite group of people. So now, now people say, I want to go to a semifinal. Some people still say they want to go to the games and it's really one of the same. It's, it's, it's a very ambitious goal in a physical discipline. And 
one of the first things that I try to do when it's appropriate inside of the relationship is pull that back and say, what is it really that you want? What will going to the CrossFit Games give you? And that's usually, um, that's usually the, about the, the, the amount of resolution that uh, people have on what they want is, well, I want to go to the games and I don't really need a reason. And um, the truth is that some of the reasons behind a goal like going to the games are, one, the goal makes us feel good. Goal makes us feel like we're ambitious and we are doing something meaningful and set high goals. And that's not all bad. It's not, 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 judge, not judging anything. Um, but other intentions inside of it could be, well, everyone who goes to the CrossFit Games is attractive. So if I go to the CrossFit Games, then I'll be attractive. And that will make me more likely to attract an attractive mate. And so, okay, so once we're honest enough with ourselves and get to that level of resolution, then it's like, well, it's a good thing we discovered that because you could try to go to the CrossFit Games for 10 years. And there are a lot more efficient ways to get the physique that you want that are not training for the CrossFit Games. A lot more efficient. So now you don't have to do that. <laughs> if you separate, if you separate it, oh, now you can take a much more efficient path to what you actually want. Do you see that? So, so getting to a high resolution on what it is that you want is, I think, the easiest is, is easiest isn't even the right word. It's it's the It's the path that I would recommend to being able to get closer to your physiological limits if you're interested in that. Are you doing the right thing? Okay, so how do you answer that? How do I know if I'm doing the right thing? Well, are you flourishing? Do you have high energy? Flourishing is marked by high energy. So that's a good place to start. Okay. Are we in my time? 27 minutes? Yeah. So those are my thoughts on endure. Um, Another reason I'm doing this is uh, those of you who work with me, we do a lot of, and rightfully so, talking about you and your life and what your thoughts are and getting those things sorted out. And that's, that's what coaching is. And so, um, 
but as I've worked with a coach, I've learned that, oh, I would really like to know my coach better personally. That would, that would help me feel more connected uh, to my coach and even to the prescriptions. And, and so part of my intention in doing this is giving you guys a window into what I'm thinking about, what I'm reading, experiences that I'm having, uh, and just a little taste of, you know, what I am like as a person and what my life is like outside of, you know, 30 minute consultations. So it's a beautiful day here in Colorado. I live in Colorado Springs. I think most of you probably knew that. And it's, this is like the hottest day of the year. It's like 85, 90 degrees are supposed to be today. So had a beautiful morning, nice breakfast with my wife and coffee and then we went for a walk and we have a little neighborhood pool up the street that we can it's like a five minute walk so uh, we we took Rylan up there Rylan is my daughter who is she 13 months now she's 12 months she's 12 months she'll be 13 months in nine days so um, so yeah we took we uh, we took her up there and splashed around in the pool and played and and it's just great got some sun people watched it was great so it was my morning and uh, yeah yeah I think that's good for today it's a good little window oh, we're gonna be right at 30 minutes so anyways until next time